Thank you, brother. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. Thankful to be here at Bethlehem once again. And by way of scripture, I'd like to draw your attention to Ecclesiastes, the second chapter. Appreciate Brother Tim allowing me to take some of his time this morning, especially considering we have some other elders in the house. Uh, I pray this will be of the Lord. And Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, of course, we're reading the words of Solomon. And Solomon describes to us and gives us a very uh, detailed and lengthy description of the wealth that he's accumulated through his wisdom and the blessing of God. And it's not the primary purpose of today to discuss this wealth, but I think by reading some of it, it helps us to understand where Solomon's coming from. I don't know where he's writing this. I know he's writing this as an older man that is probably past his prime. He's accumulated all of this wealth, and he sits back and he reflects upon it. And in Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, in the first verse, he says, I, Solomon, said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. Yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what that was good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants board in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. And he goes on and he continues to detail these just incredible things that he'd gathered to himself. Silver and gold, maidservants, vineyards, pools of water. Just even these miraculous things that we could not even necessarily imagine. We don't have massive monoliths constructed with gold and silver anymore. But Solomon did all these things. And he sits back and he looks at them all and he reflects upon the purpose of mankind And he begins to realize that this is not what it seems to be. Notice what he says in verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth, what doeth it? So he sits back, looking upon all his wealth, and he reflects on laughter. What a curious thing to, to think about. We often don't think about laughter, but certainly laughter is one of the greatest blessings we have. It is an expression of happiness. It's an expression of joy. It's an expression of satisfaction. But yet Solomon looks at it and he says, what use is is laughter to me? Is laughter really all that valuable? Because as he's reflected upon the purpose of mankind, he began to think that perhaps it's just to accumulate wealth. Perhaps it's not to sit back and enjoy the things that cause me to laugh. Now what makes you laugh this morning? Is it your family? Is it spending time with those that you love? Is it coming to the house of the Lord? What things make you laugh this morning? And Solomon looked at things that he laughed and he questioned whether or not they were valuable. In verse 3, again, he says, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. He sought to give himself unto the things that caused him to forget his misery. Yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. And to lay hold on folly. He seeks to experience folly. Why did he do this? Till I might see what that good for the sons of men. 
that they should do under heaven all the days of their life. He said, I sought to seek out all these things to determine what the purpose of man is. He asked himself that question, what is the purpose of man? Is it to find wisdom? Is it to seek out wisdom? Is it to seek out folly? Is it to accumulate wealth? Is it to laugh? What are all these questions? And so after he looks on all the things that he has done with his life at this point, as he sees how he has tried to pursue folly while he tries to pursue wisdom, he's accumulated wealth, he's given himself unto wine, he says that it was all vanity. Now, Solomon is not saying, or Solomon is saying at this point in time, but this is not the primary purpose of the book, that life is pointless. When he looks at all his wealth, he thinks life is pointless, but I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But the lesson we can learn from this is that placing our primary, we should not place our primary investments of time and energy in things that rapidly disappear and fade. That's why we're told by Jesus, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not to work. That doesn't mean that if some of you that have a family or those of you who plan to have a family should not plan to provide for your family. Notice the verse says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. That means we ought to provide for those that we love. We ought to work and labor. Solomon tells us the sleep of a laboring man is sweet because he has worked for his family. He has done what he ought to have done. And he can lay down at night and be satisfied. But Solomon has taken this to an extreme. As the wisest man on earth, blessed by God to be a king, he has forgotten what really matters. He's forgotten about laughter. He's forgotten about the Lord. He's forgotten about the importance of wisdom. He has forgotten about when God came down to earth and spoke with him. And instead, he has invested his time and energy in wealth. Now, what happens when he does that? Now, turn over to Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter. Now that we have the context in which Solomon is speaking, he's reflecting upon his wealth. And he goes on throughout the book of Ecclesiastes to give us a number of perspectives by which we can view the world. And here's one perspective that he he gives through his experience. Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter in the eighth verse. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? And again, the verse that we discussed earlier, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eateth little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Now let's read a final verse in verse 13. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. So Solomon offers to us timeless pieces of wisdom that he has gained, and I believe the Lord has revealed to him through his own folly. And he says, when you see the oppression of the poor and the perversion of justice 
whether it be in the land, in the courts of the land, whether it be in the lives of other people, do not marvel. Now, if we thought the accumulation of wealth was irrelevant to our situation this morning, this passage of Scripture is no longer irrelevant because it says, if you see injustice anywhere, I want you to remember these things. Do you see injustice anywhere this morning? Can you think of a situation where you might have come across this? Maybe you observed something that you thought was injustice in your own life. It doesn't have to be the lives of other people. Solomon says, remember these things. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. So if we see a man in power perverting justice, if we have the power to do injustice and we do it, we ought to remember there is somebody that is always higher than us. It doesn't matter how high someone is. It doesn't matter if they're a president. It doesn't matter if they're a king. It doesn't matter if they're an ancient emperor. God was always higher than them. Psalm 82 and verse 1 tells us, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the little g gods. So God stands in the congregation of mighty people this morning, whether that be in a court. I think about the Supreme Court. Is God able to stand in between the judges of the Supreme Court and judge them as they pass laws and as they make judgments? Yes, He is. Because He stands in the courts of the mighty. And He judgeth among the gods. That's the little g gods. Now, we don't believe in a plurality of gods. You know, most of the time when we see a little g god, it's made fun of in Scripture. When we see that word. So, the Lord stands among the little g gods that people often think provide them with meaning, provide them with a sense of morality, and He stands among those idols and He judges the people that worship them and the idols themselves, because He is God. So Solomon's saying, when you see that, when you see injustice, when you see injustice across the world, remember that there's somebody that is always higher than those people. Moreover, verse 9, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. So whenever we see a ruler, whenever we see an emperor, whether we find ourselves in power, we are all sustained by the same and almighty God, which causes the seasons to pass and change, which causes rain to fall upon the earth, which brings up plants from the ground and brings food from that ground so that we can be fed. The point that Solomon is making, whenever you see injustice, don't forget that God is present and imminent and He passes judgment upon the inhabitants of the earth. God's long-suffering of evil upon the earth is not a demonstration of His weakness. It is a demonstration of His mercy. We are told in Romans the ninth chapter that God suffers evil upon the earth so that He could one day bring His children home to be with Him. believe when the last child of God is born, when the time appointed for the Lord comes to return, that He will return and He will settle those accounts. But as we look upon the earth, and we see evil, and we see all manner of things that just afflict us, whether it's sins within ourselves or sins elsewhere, we can understand that God's long-suffering of that is an exhibition of His mercy. Now, with this perspective, we can begin to read and understand verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. What an oxymoron to say that someone who loves silver will never be satisfied with silver. 
If we love something, we tend to think that if someone just gives us what we want, we will be happy. But the Word of God tells us that if we want something and we go after it and we put our time and energy into it, when we find it and when we get it and when it is owned by us, we will not be satisfied. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. So are you looking for abundance this morning? All of us do. At one point or another, it may be financial abundance. It may be just an abundance of just another worldly good. But whenever we find increase, whenever we reach a point in our life when that status quo is stacking up, stacking up, stacking up, point by point, the Scripture tells us that we will never be satisfied with that. This is also vanity. Again, in verse 10. Seeking the worldly goods that we desire become, is very rapidly becomes vanity. When goods increase, verse 11, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? Now, I cannot help but smile every time I read this verse because I think about growing up and continuing to grow up in a house with many siblings. It doesn't matter how much food was put out on the table. It always seemed like it just rapidly disappeared. And I could eat as fast as I wanted to, and I could try to get it all for myself. But the second I turned around, it would be gone. And that is what the Lord is telling us here today. When we seek these worldly goods, the more and more that we increase, the faster and faster it will disappear. The more money you have, the more things become available for you to buy. And then the more money that you continue to gain, the faster that money is a lot of times dispensed out. And these goods are only good to the eyes of those that behold them. Now, why is this? Wouldn't they be beneficial to us? Wouldn't it be beneficial for us to accumulate wealth, to accumulate these worldly goods? Well, Solomon says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eateth little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. So whether a man eats a little bit of food or whether he eats a lot of food, whether he has a little bit of money or he has a lot of money, if he labors for that, in all honesty and goodness, the Lord tells us that he will be satisfied with that. But the rich man, the rich man who has tried to satisfy his desire for abundance with increase can never sleep. Well, why? Because he's always scared. That man's going to come that's going to take it all away. The government may come and take it all away. Someone may come kill me so they can have my fortune. My kids are waiting for me to die so they can have all that money. This is the fear of the rich man. Now, I will say to you this morning, anything that causes us to be fearful and causes us to be afraid should be dealt with with extreme caution. If a, sense, if a fear of failure causes us not to sleep well, if it takes away our sleep at night, if it causes us to be fearful, if the fear of a certain GPA causes us not to sleep well at night, that thing may not be healthy for us. If that wealth causes us to be fearful, that's not a good thing. If some other fear causes us to lose sleep and to become fearful of the loss of it, that is not something that we should continue to press after. And in verse 13, Solomon just goes ahead and bursts our bubble. He says, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their own hurt. 
Solomon just goes ahead and tells us the accumulation of wealth or the accumulation of any other worldly good is not to our benefit. The accumulation of that, the excessive accumulation of that is to our own hurt. So as we look at these words of Solomon, as we look at the massive amounts of wealth he accumulates, we look at the lessons he taught us, don't invest your time and energy in things that rapidly fade and disappear. Invest your time and energy and love and in things that matter. So what are those things that matter? Solomon can't seem to really conclude what that may be. He hints at it in the passage that we have read. He says the the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. That's certainly better than anything else we read. It's better than vanity of vanities. All is vanity. So what's not vanity? What can we invest our time and energy in that doesn't fade? That doesn't pass away? Well, let's go to the verse y'all are probably all thinking of in Matthew chapter 6. And as we turn to Matthew chapter 6, Keep the case of Solomon in mind. The wisest man on earth who drug himself down to his own doom and his own depression because of his desire to experience life, to find the meaning of life. And in the course of that, he thinks, I'm sure he thinks one day, well, maybe the purpose of life is to become filthy rich and to sit back on my terrace and look out all over my vineyards and all over my flocks and just sit back and breathe it in and enjoy it. No, I may have a thousand, a thousand wives. I may have disobedient children. I may be living a life of gluttony and wine-bibbing, as the Scripture says. But maybe I can find enjoyment in my wealth. Solomon concludes that this is not the case. So in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord get, begins this chapter by talking about almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Three very practical things, the, the manner in which we give, the manner in which we pray, and the manner in which we should fast. And then he connects something even more practical in verse 19, where he says, as we quoted earlier, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break, in and break through and steal. This is, the sol- this is the problem Solomon is having. He's having difficulty sleeping at night. Because he's thinking about how he might lose the only thing that he now has. He's alienated himself from God by acting in folly. He's a glutton. He's accumulated all this matter of wealth. And he can't find anything that breeds him enjoyment. He can't find laughter. He says, what what good is laughter to me now? And Jesus provides the solution to his problem. That we are to lay not up for ourselves treasures upon earth. In verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where was Solomon's heart? Was Solomon's heart communing with God on a daily basis? Was Solomon possibly even standing in the veiled presence of God as God spoke to him directly? And imparted him the wisdom to be the wisest man upon earth. No, Solomon's heart by the end of his life was not there. Which is why he finds bitterness in the very days of his own wanted life. I hope none of y'all are ever there. 
I hope I am never there where I look at laughter and I say, I don't want to laugh. I don't want to find joy. I don't want to find joy in my family. I don't want to find joy in the people around me. I don't want to find joy in the house of God. No, I want to always laugh. I hope you're laughing inside this morning. I hope you remember the things that make you laugh. I have to try to remember them on a daily basis. The fact that the Lord gave His life for me on the cross. The fact that many days, the joy of the Lord courses through my veins like fire and I just want to walk out and say, how blessed we are. I forget those things on a daily basis. We're told the way that we don't forget is to remember, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Our primary focus should not be this earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And we're told again in verse 24, this is reiterated to us. I'm trying to get down to the practical, very, very practical application of this. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Solomon tried to serve folly and wisdom. He had folly on one hand and wisdom on the other hand. And he questioned and he said, I don't know where my meaning, where my joy, where the purpose of my life comes from. It could be wisdom or it could be folly. I don't really know. So I'm going to try both. And what happened is he ended up being enslaved to folly. That's the, that is the principle that is being told to us today. When we try to serve two masters, we will often become inextricably attached to one or the other. Most often, the one which appeals to the lust of our flesh, the goods of this world. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what shall you put on? Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? I know this is a lot of Scripture this morning. But if you think about the narrative of Solomon, we read a lot of Scripture discussing the wealth that he had accumulated. And we again read the bountiful blessings that come to us when we don't seek after wealth. So we should not take any thought for our life. Does that mean we should not care whether we live or die? No, that believes that we should place our trust in the one who sustains the king and who sustains us through the field. Remember the verse we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 5? Both the king and the people are sustained from the field. God is able to sustain us regardless of the circumstances that we are in. And if we continue over and over again to place our trust in the raiment, in the food, in the water, in the housing, we begin to forget who truly sustains us as Solomon did. Behold the fowls of the air. What are the fowls of the air? Those are the birds of the air. Fill in the blank. Which bird would you like to think of? For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? If God can provide for the birds of the field, If He can give grain to the birds when they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather up the results of that sowing and reaping and put it into barns for bad times, could not our Heavenly Father sustain us? Which of you, by taking thought, verse 27, could add one cubit unto his stature? Again, remembering, this verse calls to remembrance the fact that our subsistence and our substance is found in the Lord and in His wisdom. Can I sit here and try to think and add one cubit or about one, one and a half feet a foot, depending on the ancient measurements, to my stature? 
I know there are in times past where if I could have, by my own thoughts, added a cubit to my stature, I would have long ago done so. But as it is, I'm the height which I am. I'm perfectly happy with it. And I could not have done that. I could not have thought and tried to add height to myself. Only the Lord is able to provide in that way. In verse 28, why don't we take thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. The lilies of the field, the flowers of the field, the flowers that we'll go out and probably find this summer. When you look out over a field and it's covered in yellow, sometimes white, sometimes red flowers as the spring comes upon us and we see all the different types of clover, how beautiful that is. And those flowers did not labor and to gain that beauty, the Lord clothed them as they were for His own glory and majesty. So why should we worry about and concern ourselves with something that the Lord provides? And in verse 29, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all His glory, was not arrayed like one of these. As we look at the case of Solomon, how beautifully he must have been arrayed. I can just picture him sitting upon a hillside way up on one of his terraces, looking out over something that resembled the hanging terraced gardens of Babylon, looking upon all these things that he's accumulated. But yet the simple flowers of the field, which God inspires to grow and God inspires to prosper, are better arrayed than King Solomon. Would not that cause us to place our our trust and our desire for uh, comfort in the hands of the Almighty God who brings forth food from the field? I hope both instances, whether it's the lilies of the field, whether it's the fowls of the air, would cause us to reflect upon what, what do we need and what do we just want? Because the Lord provides what we need and we'll never be able to get exactly what we want. Because those who want abundance are never satisfied with increase. And those who desire silver are never satisfied as they gain more and more unto themselves. But the Lord is able to satisfy. Thank you for your time.